You are listening to the 3CR podcast of Encyclopedia. Encyclopedia is broadcast live every Sunday from 2 p.m. Created in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, head to 3cr.org.au. The drug war began with the process of colonisation. The current measures are based on fear. <laughs> And Psychedelia is on 3CR Community Radio, 855 AM, 3CR Digital, 3cr.org.au, broadcast out of the studios uh, in Fitzroy here in Melbourne, um, but also being broadcast and being recorded and prepared, I should say. Broadcasting still comes out of Fitzroy, but uh, recording and preparing of shows uh, coming from wherever the programmer who's presenting the program happens to live. So actually today it's out uh, of Preston, <laughs> um, but through to free 3CR as well. Subscribe, uh, connect and donate at the 3CR website, 3cr.org.au. Uh, if you can become a subscriber um, or if you can give a one-off donation, that helps to support community radio and keep it on air, uh, 3cr.org.au. Uh, on this program, we talk about all things drugs, uh, whether it's drug policy, uh, drug science or cultural issues uh, around the wide variety of drugs because when we're talking about drugs, we're talking about... Um, in Victoria, over 200 substances are scheduled as prohibited. Uh, not all of those are substances that you might be familiar with when you think of the word drug, but that's kind of part of the problem of the word drug. It um, is often used in a very uh, derogatory fashion to refer to, uh, I think a lot of people when they're thinking of drugs are referring to heroin or methamphetamine. And I hear a lot of time, even in the cannabis community, the idea that um, uh, you know cannabis isn't a drug. Well, Cannabis is a drug. In fact, you could, by some definitions of drug, call sugar a drug because it can have a mild psychoactive effect that you could measure if you really wanted to get specific about these things. Strange words, hard definitions, but we like to get into all of that stuff. Uh, you can subscribe to the podcast and any podcast of 3CR uh, programs at the website or via iTunes or Spotify. Uh, and you can also check out our YouTube channel um, for more content, little bits and pieces out, and also some live stuff that happens um, alongside the show uh, right now. At uh, and just find that by heading to our program page and following the links. Jack Ravel is from DrugsRap, drugsrap.substack.com, where he summarises the week in drug news uh, for you so that you can keep abreast of what's going on here and around the world without having to click through uh, a million Twitter links or Facebook links or whatnot. Uh, Jack, welcome. Hey, Nick, how's it going? Yeah, locked down still, but we did get playgrounds this week so everybody has been at the playgrounds and the ice cream man has figured that out so it's not so bad i kind of feel like it's must be like what the 1910s were like when well i mean what else do you do i don't know if there were many cinemas in 1910 you go to the playground everyone's at the playground uh so we're gonna get uh, into some into some drug news um starting off with a a particular one particularly close um to my heart uh it is the roadside drug testing uh issue uh and this is from EchoNet daily up in the northern rivers region uh where we have a lot of friends as well why rdt roadside drug testing is failing why is it failing yes so is a story and a piece that's been going on for a long time the idea that roadside drug testing is an effective way to police the way in which people are driving is kind of a fallacy and i think a lot of people are really aware of that the roadside drug testing tools the actual test itself that they use is just wildly inaccurate it's something that returns a lot of false positives and it's something that is incredibly sensitive to any drug uh, in your system. So a lot of people are brought into the criminal justice system that really shouldn't be. Um, and that's not even to get into the medical cannabis issue as well. Um, people who are legally allowed to use medical cannabis and not legally allowed to drive with any trace elements of cannabis in their system, even though they're not impaired. So it's a long and ongoing story. And it's something that I think is always worth covering because um, I think it's really crucial and affects a lot of people. This is just a story this week in EchoNet Daily, um, kind of summing up the whole issues here, um, talking to David Halpern. Halpern? I'm not actually sure how to pronounce his name, but he's a former magistrate. He recently resigned uh, in protest about the RDT laws, saying that he couldn't, you know, in good conscience, putting people in jail for these kind of offences. So kind of a summary of that. And I think it's just good to keep that, that story going, really. 
yeah, it's um, good to see uh, that that issue is still making um, a little bit of news because uh, it, it is something that's in Victoria. I think after that uh, really um, tragic loss of uh, police life, uh, life uh, with um, somebody on the on the side of a freeway. Um, Back in much must have been March or April, um, that's now being used as a as a lever to to increase uh, the roadside drug testing program, which is just riddled with problems. Um, I'm somebody who's experienced the problems myself, <laughs> uh, and there's an article um, at uh, the Sid- Sydney Criminal Lawyers um, about that story. But um, yeah, and, and in fact, the petition. I don't know what's been happening with uh, with with uh, Victorian petitions at the moment, but we actually do still have a petition um, before Victorian Parliament about the roadside drug testing uh, issue. Um, I think it's petition, I'm just looking for the number, 100 and... Uh, there it is, 117, uh, and I'll bring that up on the screen. Uh, inquiry into drug uh, driving reform. Um, it has not closed yet. There you go. It's been expend- extended till the 1st of January next year, so you can still sign that, 897 signatures, um, and we're calling just for a review of the roadside drug testing program as it stands here in Victoria. Uh, over to our friends at AOD Media Watch, aodmediawatch.com.au, psychedelics and the TGA. What journalists need to know so this is a bit of a shameless plug here um this week i worked in collaboration with a number of viewers and the rest of the guys over at aod media watch um to produce this set of guidelines for journalists reporting on the proposed rescheduling of mdma and psilocybin um as we have spoken about over the last couple of weeks uh, my medicine australia uh, revealed that they had submitted an application to the therapeutic goods administration to reschedule um, MDMA and psilocybin for therapeutic use in psychotherapy. So the reporting on that has been, you know, kind of predictably pretty over the top. A lot of legalization of MDMA, legalization of um, psilocybin, you know, it's going to be a free reign and it's going to be wholesale, you know, whatever it is. But essentially, people uh, right over there, the AOD media watch, you thought it'd be pretty um, prudent to kind of get ahead of this story and, and put out some guidelines for people who are going to be writing on it um, just to give them some background in actually what is happening. Because I think the MindMed Australia press release maybe oversold it a little bit on exactly what's going on. And I think a lot of journalists just sort of copied and pasted a bit of that. They didn't maybe do their own research or they didn't really understand the landscape. So we've just put together those guidelines, which hopefully will temper some of that rhetoric. Um, I'm not 100% confident on how much it's going to change because obviously people are in a bit of a rush these days writing news and they just planning stuff out and maybe don't think about it too much. But, you know, hopefully trying to get ahead of the story because that decision is going to be made in, I think the interim decision is made in February. So we'll probably hear a lot more about it then. And then I think the final decision is going to be made in April. So it's, it's going to be an ongoing story for a while. And if you are somebody, uh, especially somebody that has um, clinical experience or any kind of uh, expertise in this area, uh, the TGA TGA are accepting submissions uh, and looking for um, just a... Oh, hello. <laughs> looking for uh, any anything uh, on that um, uh, that that proposal uh, that's come from Mind Medicine Australia. So do get those in there because um, it helps. Um, every little bit helps. Uh, the University of Sydney, Australia unprepared for over-the-counter medical cannabis sales. This is from um, the Lambert Initiative. Yeah, so the Lambert Initiative for cannab- cannab- Cannabinoid Therapeutics, <laughs> a very long name, they do a lot of research on the medical use of cannabinoids um, based on the University of Sydney, um, headed up by uh, Ian, oh, I can't remember his name, Ian, Professor Ian um, McGregor. McGregor. Well, the Lambert Institute themselves released an analysis on the interim decision that was made by the TGA last week, which basically said that they're indicating they're going to reschedule CBD for from a Schedule 4 drug to a Schedule 3 drug, and that would mean, in theory, you could access this in pharmacies. And a lot of publications jumped on this, um, and they wrote about how, you know, it's going to be a legalization of cannabis and all that kind of stuff. 
Um, and it's not entirely inaccurate the way that it's been reported, but what the Lambert Initiative is saying is that actually, if you look at what the TGA are proposing, the amount of CBD that's going to be allowed to be used in over-the-counter medications is way, way, way lower than what is considered medically effective. Um, I can't remember the exact numbers. I think they're allowing something like 60 milligrams of CBD in a, in a medication that's going to be allowed to be sold in Australian pharmacies. And then I think the Lambert Institute have said um, the science shows that you need something like 300 to like 1500 milligrams of CBD, um, which is actually going to have some kind of medical benefit. So it's way low and, you know, it's probably going to, well, we don't really know about pricing, but we would imagine that it's probably going to be fairly expensive and the people who are going to be using this stuff for medical benefit, they may not really get that based on what's going to be available. So kind of an interesting piece there. Uh, over to the US uh, from UC Berkeley uh, from their news uh, section of their website. UC Berkeley launches new center for psychedelic science and education. Yeah, I think this is a really significant story and I wrote a bit about it in kind of quite emotional terms in, in the newsletter because, you know, 50 years ago, there was a lot of psychedelic research and science going on, you know, since the 1950s about how these things are going to be useful to treat uh, mental health conditions. You know, they were being used in psychotherapy, um, LSD and psilocybin. Those things were being used to assist people and help people. And there was a lot of research going on at that time. Um, and then obviously we've got the whole history of, you know, how it escaped the lab and Timothy Leary and the whole psychedelic revolution or whatever you want to call it. And then, then the government, came down on that pretty hard and banned all the research and said there's no medical benefit to any of this. You know, massive oversight. It's kind of history that everyone knows, but that's all seeming to now be put into reverse. And I think that, you know, 50 years after that's happened, University of California, Berkeley, who are one of the, you know, people at the forefront and the center of all of that research back in the day, they've announced that they're once again going to resume research into this field with a fully dedicated center for psychedelic science and education. And the project has got 120, oh, 1.25 million in seed funding from an anonymous donor. Still not and bad. Gonna... Yeah. Yeah. So... I think it's a really positive story. That is, it's it's good to see. So they'll join the likes of uh, John Topkins, um, uh, Imperial College in London. I'm just trying to think where else. There's another one on the um, on the west coast. Um, there's a few of them that are popping up that that are uh, really dedicating themselves to uh, pushing out some psychedelic research, which is really good to hear. Um, this from NPRnews.org. Ex-cops attorneys attribute Floyd's death to drugs, foreshadowing central theme at trial. Yeah, um, this is a, like it's a super rough story, really. I couldn't quite believe actually reading it. What I was seeing, um, essentially, the police who are charged with killing George Floyd. Obviously, everyone knows that story, and it was a huge um, event over the over the last few months, and the you know Black Lives Matter movement that was really reinvigorated because of that, and all the protests here. And essentially, the police who have been charged, their attorneys have been sketching out their defence, and a lot of their defence is going to hinge upon the idea that George Floyd contributed to his own death by being a drug user and by being supposedly intoxicated i think they might have found some cannabis in his system or something like that and they're putting together a defense that essentially characterizes him as someone who you know was a menace to society he was a cyclical drug user he was a thief and that it's um you know not such a bad thing what these police did and it's you know it's almost like just unspeakably horrible the way that they're going about this and you know it's it's just really really frustrating and upsetting um and there's some commentary in there about how you know this is just an ongoing narrative in the war against drugs in the u.s how you know people who use drugs are criminalized and often black people particularly you know, black minorities in the u.s are 
criminalized and sort of marginalized in this way using drugs. Um, and that's been the history ever since drugs have been criminalized in the US. So it's pretty grim reading. And uh, I think it's something that we should all be kind of aware of what's going on there. Yeah, I'm just having a look at the um, article now. And it's just, um, it's uh, disappointing is the nicest word I could use. Um, and I'll leave it at that at the moment. But it's something that we'll, we'll follow because it's probably going to have repercussions for other issues and, and the drug issue more broadly in the US. Uh, from the appeal.org uh, political report, Oregon could become the first state to de- decriminalise drugs in November. Yeah, so a bit more of an uplifting story from the US. Um, obviously, we know there's a big election coming up in November in the US. Um, there's a citizen-led ballot initiative, which is known as Measure 110, or the Drug Addiction Treatment and Recovery Act, um, which is looking to swap out arrests and criminal penalties for uh, non-criminal $100 citations um, and fund more treatment services um, for people who are caught with amounts of of drugs. And that's really a step in the right direction. I think Oregon is quite a progressive state in that regard. Um, And it's not really clear in that article how likely this is to pass, but it's looking like it's certainly going to be on the ballot, um, on the you know, on the piece of paper when you go in to vote in, in November. And I think it would be a really positive step in, in the right direction if, if that was to go ahead. It sounds very much like the um, Portuguese model uh, as well with just um, small, you know, decriminalisation. So you're still not meant to be found with drugs. So don't don't go and smoke in the park or whatever because you'll have a $100 fine, but hell of a lot better than um, being murdered by the police. Uh, from poverty to power, oxfamblogs.org. Uh, why are illegal drugs still a Cinderella issue in development? Looking at you, CGD. So I'm actually not exactly sure what the term Cinderella issue means. I've never actually heard that term before. I, yeah, I'm honestly, I probably should have read into it, but I have no idea what that really means. But I think from what I gather, um, International development organizations, they are very reluctant to tackle drug use and drug you know, manufacture as a sort of international development policy issue. Um, and even though a lot of science would suggest that doing so could actually bring massive benefit to developing nations, um, and Duncan Green, who's a senior strategic advisor at Oxfam in, in the UK, um, he's also a professor at the London School of Economics. He has basically made the case for why you know international organisations don't don't look at this, and uh, a lot of that hinges around the portrayal of drugs and the sort of reputational issues that come in with that. You know, a lot of these international non-government organisations they rely heavily on on donors, and potentially some of those donors may think that this is not something that they should be looking at, but. Really, the evidence shows that there could be massive, massive benefit if um, if some more, you know, drug policy progressive ideas were pushed um, as development objectives and things like that. Um, and I think I just want to point out that the Health Poverty Action Group um, they're currently hosting a webinar series on drugs as a global development issue, and that's linked in that piece. And it's an ongoing series. Um, there's still a few to go in that. I think maybe three or four left, um, and there are recordings of the of the previous ones as well. And they look super interesting. So I definitely recommend uh, people check that out as well. And just um, sticking on uh, international issues for a second, because Harm Reduction International, who uh, hosts the the Harm Reduction Conferences, uh, which was meant to be in Melbourne uh, in November this year, uh, have made the announcement this week that the... uh, that the conference will now take place from the 1st till the 4th of December in Melbourne um, next year. So that is um, the current announcement. I guess it's always, uh, you know, we'll have to wait and see what happens. But, you know, you've also got to start planning these things, especially since it's such a huge event um, with people uh, from all across the world uh, coming to speak about harm reduction issues and uh, drug law reform uh, along more fair grounds. Um, Jack uh, is from Drugs Wrap and Drugs Wrap is at uh, Drugs Wrap 
www.substack.com, which is where you can subscribe uh, and get that in your inbox each week. Jack, thank you very much for uh, being with us today. What have you got on for your weekend? Well, the weekend ahead, it's a little bit rainy in Sydney at the minute. Uh, it was good weather at the start of the week. In fact, incredibly good weather, you know, Monday, Tuesday. Kind of a shame to be inside, really. Um, and, you know, I was thinking maybe I'll get out and about this weekend. I was thinking about going to play some lawn bowls. But it looks like it might be raining. So I haven't actually decided. Potentially indoor bowling, regular bowling. Indoor bowling. I was thinking about doing that. So. Yeah, where, uh, you know, where the weather doesn't matter too much. But, um, yeah, not a huge amount. Pretty relaxed weekend. You enjoy the relaxing weekend. We are definitely going to find a playground within five kilometres of my home. That's that's my plan. <laughs> Thank you, Jack. All the best. Take care. See you next week. G'day. My name is Margie Thorpe. You are listening to 3CR Community Radio 8.55 on your dial. Food Co-op is open. Get fresh produce and support local farmers and keep our grassroots community thriving through these unusual times. Organic veggie boxes and click and collect now available. Visit www.foefood.org slash click collect to place your orders. Or pop in store at 312 Smith Street and see how we're adapting with our new physical distancing layout. Shop organic and buy local. Made easy at Friends of the Earth. A proud 3CR supporter. Six years I've been in desert. Beyond the Bars is 3CR's annual prison project, giving voice to our Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander inmates right across Victoria. It's good to be here because uh, Aboriginal radio and um, you don't really get to do this much. Brings us all together. Time, you'll get your time to take that first step out that front door to freedom beyond these walls. Make sure and I just want to say thank you to all of you for giving us the opportunity to speak on air. The reason, the bigger the calling. Make your commitment and watch things unfold. And you can listen to audio from this year's broadcasts and previous years as well. Online at any time, just go to 3cr.org.au forward slash beyond the bars. But also while I'm here, I'd like to say thank you for all for coming. 
um, helping, giving us a chance to do this. It's really good, you know. It's been going for a while now. Hopefully it goes, it keeps going. You know, like, it's, it's good that we can do this and um, get our voice out there as prisoners. We can't blame everything on the external, so let's stop looking for it in the hands of the persecutor because real power comes from here and it comes from family. If you would like us to post you a free CD, contact the station on 03 9419 I really am not understanding why people aren't seeing the fact that prisons are an integral part of a public health response to a pandemic. Like you, I'm really concerned about whether the data is being released very honestly about illnesses within prison. I have suspicions it's not, but really we need very strong leadership in this country that actually cares about people inside, our most vulnerable populations inside. That's what we need and that's not what we're getting right now. We need to keep radical voices on air Subscribe now. Go to 3cr.org.au forward slash subscribe or call the station on 9419 8377. CR 855 AM, 3CR Digital and streaming at 3cr.org.au. The psychedelic is much more than the trip. Connect with the Australian community to benefit, enjoy and contribute to psychedelic culture in a safe and supportive environment. The Australian Psychedelic Society have chapters across the country. Find the others on social media, YouTube or at psychedelicsociety.org.au. Thank you very much, Meredith Drinkle, um, hearing there from the current president of the Australian Psychedelic Society. This is in Psychedelia on 3CR Community Radio, 855 AM, 3CR Digital and 3cr.org.au. And you just heard two tracks uh, from a, um Australian, a Sydney producer, uh, who I found scrolling through TikTok because uh, I've been banned from Facebook. Don't know why. Pretty sure it was because my Facebook account was hacked by somebody who got my email address and when he couldn't steal from my obsolete gaming accounts, decided to bomb my Facebook because it sounds like exactly the kind of thing that a 16-year-old who's found a password on some password drop site would do. Anyway, uh, enough about that. I found this guy, Carl, uh, K-H-A-L is his name, and uh, he's only got a couple thousand... um, uh, Listen so far on his tracks Gold Slick, which was the first one you heard with the uh, super bad sample, and Sonda, which is the second one uh, from his latest, it's his latest release, uh, and you can go and check those out. It's on Spotify, uh, K-H-A-L, like finding some 
new music, especially um, new tunes from somebody that, um, uh, you know, I mean, how do you reach out to people at the moment when it's very difficult to do any kind of in real life promotion and so many of these um, music promotional networks are saturated uh, by people that already have uh, been receiving plenty of attention. Um, Now, over the past couple of weeks, we've had the release of the Global Drug Survey's uh, COVID-19 report, um, which uh, Monica Barrett uh, from RMIT University is a big part of and has been a part of it for over a decade, not just the Global Drug Survey, but its predecessors as well. Um, And... Uh, she's been speaking with a lot of doing a lot of webinars and whatnot this week with uh, people working in the alcohol and other drug sector, uh, just talking about some of those findings. Uh, and we also had Dr. Nicole Lee, and Nicole is from 360 Edge. Uh, they're an alcohol and other drug consultancy um, that really helped to translate uh, some of what uh, some of the findings, some of the evidence um, uh, that gets uh, amassed during research and, and translated into practice and policy. Uh, we caught up with both of them. And uh, if you have a listen back to last week's show uh, or check out our YouTube channel, you can have a look at the uh, the whole interview there. It was a bit longer than an hour. So I'm going to play uh, for you the rest of our chat uh, with them. And Nicole as well um, had a uh, article uh, with the conversation on the release of the National Drug Strategy Household Survey, uh, which was the 2019 one. So it was conducted last year, not results for the current COVID-19 period, but it is part of the uh, now two decades long National Drug Strategy Household Survey giving us a, a picture, uh, the best picture um, that I'm aware of, uh, into how Australians are taking drugs, what their what their um, position is on them, their political positions, and how that's shifted over time. Uh, so to um, Dr. Nicole Lee and Dr. Monica Barrett, and I think I was talking with Monica uh, and Nicole about just how how good it is that there are so many webinars. I mean, there's a lot of them at the moment and obviously that will change um, and there won't be as many, but I really do hope that some of it is maintained. Monica, something you mentioned earlier was that, um, and it was something we were sort of expecting at the start of uh, COVID, that we might see more people uh, moving to some of the the darknet markets. Uh, But that's not what you've seen. What's been going on in the uh, darknet drugs sale world? Yeah, well, I mean, we've seen some big markets going down in the last couple of weeks. So we've seen a lot of shuffling. I find during these periods of unsettledness in the darknet ecosystem, it can be quite hard to work out exactly what's happening for some time. And often people think they know what's happening and then they realise they don't. So I feel like I can't really comment yet on exactly why, uh, whether it's exit scams or law enforcement, but there's definitely some issues I guess right now for for the bigger players um, but we do have some information some early information about darknet sales for example the European Monitoring Centre uh, released a study a couple of months ago looking at sales from January to March and in the March period which was affected by COVID-19 they saw an uptick in smaller cannabis buys um, so it indicated that there were potentially more people buying directly from darknet markets, uh, especially cannabis, uh, than maybe before there were people who were then going to sell those that, that drug to their friends or to others in their networks face to face. They were less, so there were less large buys and more small buys, if that makes sense. Overall, there wasn't really an increase, but it was just the, the shifting. So I think in the next, you know, couple of weeks, we'll see much more data come out, like actually the monitoring data from the April, May, June period. So I'm aware of, say, um, the study that's currently, well, I'm, I'm a co-author on for, for NDARC through the DNET project, which is doing exactly that. So that should be out in a couple of weeks. But I know there will be lots of others as well coming out. Yeah, and there was another study that came out looking at um, uh Purchases. So there's this study called uh, Drug Roots. You can look that up. Drug, I think it's drugroots.com. Can't quite remember. Uh, but Drug Roots is basically a website saying to people, if you would like to record your purchase, tell us about your purchase when you use the darknet. 
tell us whether it went wrong, whether it went right, you know, what happened, what did you buy, how much did it cost? And so using that data, there was a study that came out recently showing that a lot of purchases in the first part of the COVID period actually did go wrong. You know, they didn't arrive or it took too long or um, they just weren't able to purchase. And, and we would imagine that, you know, that's being affected by the global logistics and just difficulty getting stuff around that we talked about earlier. So it might be that the darknet isn't really a place to turn to in COVID times because it does rely on a working international postal and parcel distribution network, which is you know, experiencing all kinds of fluctuations. For example, lots of people are buying online legitimate goods that weren't before and suddenly the postal system's overloaded or then we're not having the air posts we used to have. I mean, you know, there's like envelopes with cards and letters in that are arriving three months late and all sorts of stuff like that. And, and that's not just affecting drugs, but obviously that's where people will often take, you know, um, less than a gram of, of, you know, powder distributed very flatly is very easily um, put in an envelope. So those envelopes, if they're not getting through, would indicate some problems for people buying on the darknet. One other, um, I guess, information source that's changed a little bit over the last couple of years is information flowing from, I guess, police and or health departments to the public. And so we've seen New South Wales Health and Queensland Health starting to publicly release more information. And an interesting one came out that I guess, uh, you know, myself, Nick and, and you, Monica, have a particular interest in from Queensland Health this week, I think just today or yesterday, about um, four fluoroamphetamine and 25C N-bone turning up. Um, do you want right. to maybe explain why that is a significant drug combination and um, I guess why it's a little bit unusual to see it turn up again? Yeah, I don't really understand why it's turned up again. Uh, but back in the beginning of 2017, uh, there was a, a spate of overdoses and a, a, I think it was three deaths and 20 overdoses all in one weekend associated with the use of a capsule that uh, was distributed uh, at a Chapel Street nightclub. And around that time, you know, trying to find out what was in that, um, uh, you know, there was information coming from Victoria Police that had been leaked that suggested that, that it contained 4-FA and 25-CN bone. Uh, we then got that drug tested, a sample of it, at Energy Control in Spain, and they got back and confirmed that indeed it had that combination. It was a very um, wet, sort of odd, oddly coloured capsule as well, it, it, you know, and people that talked about what happened when they took it, they expected it to be MDMA, had a very different effect. Um, and, you know, a very strong psychedelic effect, but it also had these physical issues which can come with taking too much of the N-Bone series. So I guess where you might look at LSD, it's very hard to overdose on something like LSD in the sense of a physical effect that might kill you. Obviously people have misadventures with psychedelics, but in terms of a physical overdose, it's very hard to do on LSD. But with the N-Bone series, we have many examples of people who have have died from physical effects from from the Envome series. So, yeah, that was really concerning. Um, the Envome series is very it's very potent, so it's active at microdoses. So, for people that are taking these unknown capsules with an unknown amount of a very potent drug that they were not expecting, there's all sorts of concerns there that we would have. So, it's great that. Queensland Health has been able to put out this alert uh, and following, you know, the lead of New South Wales Health and also Victorian Department of Human and Health Services to put out an alert in March. So we've now got sort of three examples across across a, a 12-month period of health departments putting out public drug alerts and certainly I think it's a welcome move. Uh, it would be good if that data 
The data streams were faster um, between all the agencies that get access to this kind of information. The more rapidly that that data can flow, then the more relevant those alerts will be clearly. So that's something we don't often find out about as in like, what was the providence? Like, how did this data come to be? When was it seized or when was it? We don't tend to find out about that information, but that could be actually quite useful for people who use drugs to understand, you know, was this one week old, four weeks old? What part of, you know, where was it seen? So all that sort of information is often not provided and there may be good operational reasons why, you know, that's not told, but, you know, I think it it's important context and it can go to, you know, is there any more of this out there? And then of course, the issue of how does someone know that what they've got in their hand you know, we can't just base it on appearance. Uh, this is where we want to have the kinds of technologies, ideally, you know, the best technologies available for people to be able to find out uh, what they've got. There's actually a fantastic post on one of the um, Arrowwood uh, social media channels that had uh, just a um, table full of all different uh, samples that all tested positive for MDMA and you had all sorts of different colours in there, all sorts of different consistencies. Each one of them had tested positive for MDMA um, with relatively few impurities. Um, so it just shows, you know, the vast difference out there. Um, now, one of the other uh, things that's happened recently is the results uh, of the 2019 National Drug Strategy Household Survey uh, were released. I think that was within the past month. So that's um, the, the sort of uh, the, the big mama of <laughs> drug surveys <laughs> uh, I, I suppose. Um, then we've yeah. got the, the kiddos uh, at, at the Global Drug Survey. So it'll be interesting to see how those two <laughs> interface. But um, Nicole, um, wondering, there's there's been an uptick in support uh, for things, uh, for, for some progressive drug policies. Can you talk to us a little bit about some of the findings from, from that one? Yeah, really interesting. So the, the National Drug ha uh, Strategy Household Survey is, as it sounds, a household survey, um, and it's taken every three years. Um, it a, approximates a, a random sample of households in Australia. Um, and this year, for the very first time, um, more people were in support of cannabis legalisation than were against it. Um, and a significant number of people, a majority of people, were in support of drug checking or pill testing. So um, it seems like the community, so this is a general community sample, it's not a sample of necessarily of only people who use drugs or um, who have problems with them. Um, so it seems like the general community uh, is is shifting significantly in their views about um, particularly about illicit drugs and particularly about cannabis um, and their, the, uh, their views are softening a little, I guess. And um, in just a few months' time, we're going to see the New Zealand uh, referendum uh, where they're asking the question, should we legalise cannabis? Um, and we're hoping to catch up with uh, some Kiwis uh, over the next few weeks to, to get an idea of what's going on there. Uh, everything I've read out of New Zealand is that it's 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 knife's edge. It's really close. Uh, all the polling Very is sort of nice, 49-51. But it could, oh, if gosh. that does happen, that could have a massive impact on decisions here in Australia. It may do. Um, also, something that happened earlier this year, um, unrelated to COVID, was that the ACT um, legalised small amounts for personal use of cannabis. Um, home, they have a, now a homegrown legalisation model. Um, and it, although many people were um, predicting the sky would fall in, it hasn't. Um, it's just business as usual, really. So just I breaking just, I think um, um, most of the country has kind of forgotten that that happened. It's like, yeah. <laughs> it's like yeah, such it's a like, non-event. Oh. <laughs> yeah, yeah it was, there was such a build-up to it and then it happened and it was like... Something I would no love to just mention here that relates very much to what you've just said, Nicole, and I know, I think many of you guys are aware of it, but through the National Drug Research Institute with Simon Lenton leading, um, I'm involved with a, uh, a global survey, which is not the Global Drug Survey, but it's a survey of... Survey of cannabis growers. So back eight years ago, we did the first one. 
and we had, I think it was around um, 11 countries and uh, I spent probably six months of my life uh, getting to know and engaging with uh, cannabis cultivator groups around Australia and um, that was um, that was great, but we're doing it again and it's now online and you can go to worldwideweed.nl to see <laughs> our landing page. Uh, and so we've expanded, we've got more countries, we've got more languages um, and we were about to launch and then COVID hit. So then we had to sort of, you know, go back, put a couple of items in about COVID to make sense, you know, so the survey even made any sense uh, in this current context. So yeah, that's up now. Um, we're hoping to reach anyone who grows cannabis around the world because, you know, it's something trying to understand how how people grow and what their, what their methods are. So there's just literally like what do you guys do? Is it hydroponic? What sorts of mediums do you use? Do you use these kinds of fertilizers? So all that kind of stuff, as well as, you know, what concerns they have in relation to the law, what kinds of policies they would prefer to have uh, in, in, in their country. And we're including the US and Canada in this. So this year, it's going to be so different to eight years ago. We've got countries with really, really different regulations all participating. We've got Uruguay. Uruguay's got, um, they were the first country to launch and they've got a completely different um, way of dealing with cannabis at the moment. So it's going to be interesting. Um, and we've also got the uh, inquiry into uh, into cannabis use uh, going on here in Victoria, which um, uh, is, I mean, I don't know how long it's going to take now because it seems like everything's been pushed out about six months, like plus six months on every every previous estimate. But hopefully we'll see some results uh, on it before the end of this government's term. Is that next year, Ash? You, you're the, you know no, these no, things. It's not, we have four-year terms in Victoria, so there's plenty of time for know. the cannabis inquiry to finish doing its work. Fantastic. Um, so, submissions have just closed. Sort of. Yeah. If you, I think you can sneak one in. I know several organisations um, put in a late one, and my understanding is that they were just going to leave the portal open for an extra two weeks. Uh, maybe they anticipate that owners going to be a little bit late with things. Um, so if you do want to sneak in a last-minute submission, you might have a last chance. And then what will happen is the submissions will be published on the website and they'll um, look at all of those and start doing some public hearing. And then there's also the TGA, psilocybin, MDMA thing going on. Yes, yeah, that's something yeah. we'd um, love to love to look into um, a little bit further in you know in, in coming weeks because it's um, it's not the so. first time that there have been applications for rescheduling uh, of, of psychedelics uh, before the TGA, uh, and and we know that the TGA is DMT. a very conservative uh, organisation. Exactly, TM, DMT was uh, the most recent. I think that was about three or four years ago. Yeah. Um, and they're, they're, they're very rigid in the application process. Um, but it's possible that Mind Medicine Australia, the organisation who have put that up, who have uh, on their board former uh, Liberal MPs uh, and, and do have um, connections with um, sort of more conservative uh, uh, figures in politics, that maybe they'll, they'll be able to do that. But then it's also a question of what will that, you know, what will that mean in terms of access? Uh, will it be something that is widely accessible by those who need it? Is it something that will be ridiculously expensive and only accessible to those who can afford it um, and who will be able to provide uh, those trainings and, and or provide that service. Uh, lots of questions. Really good <laughs> so questions. <many. laughs> yeah. um, we've got about uh, seven minutes left, so maybe um, some, some final thoughts, final questions. Uh, I guess, um, I, I guess, uh, well, I, you know, we've had two significant surveys. We've had the um, Australian Institute of Health and Welfare, you know, household drug survey, um, and we've had the global drug survey. So I guess um, maybe for Monica and then Nicole, were there any particular things that stood out or that were unusual or surprising in, in those surveys? I guess in terms of the global drug survey, I mean, a lot of the stuff that I saw there didn't surprise me that much. Um, I was somewhat surprised by the large number of people that said there'd been a decrease in availability of drugs. As Nicole mentioned, that's not really what we've seen on the ground. But I think we can explain that by the fact that 
you know, many of those people may only be casually involved. Uh, and so for them, maybe they only had, you know, a small amount of ways of getting drugs. And if those disappeared, then um, that was a, a change in availability. I guess it was also you know, somewhat surprising to see uh, significant numbers of people decreasing their drinking as, as that's not been the story that's been um, going around, you know, globally and in Australia. So both of those things were a little bit surprising. I was pleasantly surprised by the lack of um, um, active, uh, so not, not just the fact that people in the main, in the household survey supported pill testing, but there was a lack of, a lack of support. What's the word? <laughs> When you don't a lack of the, the negative, yeah, it was more the people in one. that middle ground. <laughs> yeah, so I think there's only 20 set twi- oppose. There was a lack of opposition to pill testing. It was 27%. Yeah. And that was really heartening for someone who's been working for years to, you know, to, to, to get drug checking to happen in Australia, not just at a one-off time, but to happen all the time so that people can get their drugs checked and obviously eventually we don't need to get our drugs checked because our drugs are actually just manufactured legally um but until that time being able to access be able to access some way of you know working out what you have so it was really pleasing to see that and and you know i was pleasantly surprised to see that in the household survey i think not necessarily related to those two things but a bit more generally i think what I take away from all of the different surveys that have been done over the last couple of years and and during COVID is that um, where things were kind of bad, I guess COVID has made them worse, but in at other areas, it's actually improved um, things. And it is really the second thing for me is that it's really heartening to see um, like quite a significant shift in community sentiment about drugs and that will have to have a flow-on effect to a whole range of things, uh, including um, stigma and discrimination and um, hopefully uh, a shift in our drug laws as well. Spoonbill with Cocoon on Encyclopedia. Hey, all you mob, it's Dr. Mark Winnetong here. Coronavirus has certainly changed the way we live, work, and connect. These changes can be hard for some of us and can make us feel no good in our head or spirit, like sad or worried all the time. Some of us might already be dealing with other things like sickness, trauma, and this can make it really hard for us to feel good about anything at the moment. If you're feeling like this, remember it's okay to ask for help. Have a yarn to someone you trust, like your family or an Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander health worker. You can also call Beyond Blue, Lifeline or the Kids Helpline to talk to someone or look at some helpful information at headtohealth.gov.au on the internet. 
a 3CR supporter. Yarra Bicycle Users Group Radio, 10am every Monday morning on Community Radio 3CR. Also live streaming on the web and weekly podcasts at 3cr.org.au. So listen in for the very latest bicycle stories, news and views from Melbourne and around the cycling universe. Listen in. Voodoo Cowboy from their album So Many Nights. And you are listening to In Psychedelia on 3CR 855 AM, 3CR Digital and 3cr.org.au uh, Don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. You can do that at the 3CR website, 3cr.org.au or you can head on over to iTunes or Spotify. We are now on Spotify. Actually, I've got Spotify open here. I should look up if I can find it. That's the child in the background. You get used to it. Uh, Oh, look at that. Yep, I look up in Psychedelia and it's right there. That's pretty cool. 
Um, so do subscribe to the podcast and subscribe to all your favourite 3CR podcasts, which you can now find on Spotify and iTunes and easily at the 3CR website, 3cr.org.au. Uh, I want to say a big thank you as well to our guests on today's program, Jack Ravel from Drugs Rap. That's drugsrap.substack.com for your weekly dose of drug news from Australia and around the world. And also Dr. Monica Barrett and Dr. Nicole Lee, who joined us last week and you heard the second part of that interview this week. Queering the Air is up next on 3CR, so keep it tuned. See you later. This is Psychedelia. For more information, visit Encycadelia.org or follow us on Facebook, Twitter or Instagram. Encycadelia does not condone or condemn people who use drugs for their choices. Our aim is to present the diverse intersections of psychoactive drugs and society. If you are concerned about your own drug use or a friend's drug use, Direct Line provides a free and confidential counselling service 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Call 1-800-888-236. And Psychedelia will be back on 3CR from 2pm next Sunday. 2pm next Sunday. This has been a 3CR podcast. You can hear in Psychedelia live every Sunday from 2pm. Head to 3cr.org.au for more.